Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today we've got our two favorite education experts joining us. Welcome, Danielle and Andre Dowdy. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Thanks for having Thanks us. Thanks a lot. You two have been such great friends of Metro Family, and you've been on the podcast several times before to talk about the state of education in Oklahoma. And you've really helped parents, me included, walk through this very strange couple of years of school in a pandemic. So today we're going to break down what 2022 will look like in the education space. But first, even though the two of you are very familiar to many of our listeners, I'll start with some introductions. Danielle has a master's degree in early childhood education. She is an instructional coach at Millwood Elementary School. She works with and supports teachers and administration by increasing student engagement and improving student achievement through sharing strategies with teachers. Andre has been in the education industry for 20 years, teaching at the elementary and middle school levels, as well as serving as an adjunct professor, and now working as a consultant and keynote speaker for educators around the country. Danielle and Andre have two kids, and they have a popular podcast about the education industry called See What Had Happened. So one of the biggest issues educators in Oklahoma are dealing with right now is burnout. We had a record number of teachers retiring prior to our current school year. Emergency certifications are way up and there's a huge lack of substitutes. So the mental load on our teachers is tremendous. Danielle, since you have been in the classroom during this pandemic, tell us how did we get to this place of such extreme burnout and what are you hearing and seeing about why this school year has been so hard on our teachers and administrators? Hmm, how do we get here? COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. But uh, the expectations that have been put on teachers um, they've been tremendous. Um, it's, it's almost like we, we felt like we couldn't just teach before, you know, but now it's like, where is the teaching coming in? Because you have to, you have to be the counselor. You have to do social emotional learning. You have to be a parent. I mean, you, you're doing lots of paperwork recording lessons, just all kinds of expectations. So um, the workload has become really heavy for teachers and um, that equals burnout. And the expectations from parents, mm -hmm. that has, yeah, that has played a huge factor. Um, so yes, here we are. Here we are. And really the pandemic exacerbated a lot of that. A lot of what you're talking about, I know was happening before the pandemic, but this just kind of created an explosion yes. <laughs> of all of this. Yes. Andre, what would you add to that? Um, ditto to everything that she said. Uh, Danielle hit the nail on the head here. Um, when, I, when I look back at it now, Kind of like what you just said, it reminds me of 
a person who wins a trillion dollars or a billion dollars or a million dollars, whatever the characteristic was before that person got all that money, you'll just see it multiplied by nine million. Um, and so you saw the burnout before the big thing happened. And so once when the big thing happens with the burnout, like you said, it was exacerbated where people are now just choosing health over teaching. Um, we, I, we know one, one friend whose health was declining because of all of the pressure and having anxiety attacks and panic attacks during prepping in class. And the person had to decide, do I focus on my health? Focus on the kids. And then that became even more anxiety because now if I leave, what about the kids? Do I feel selfish needing to take my time off? And so that uh, teacher friend chose to leave. And now the teacher friend is so much healthier mentally, emotionally, physically. Uh, but that teacher now has guilt of leaving the kids, leaving the students. And that's a part of the burnout as well. That's so that's so hard, and I um, it's interesting because I've heard I've heard those exact same words when I've talked to leaders at the state department of education that teachers' health is being impacted, not just their mental health, but their physical health is being impacted. Um, and then the other piece of that is teachers losing their joy and why they came to the profession in the first place that so with all of these other things piled on top um, they can't they can't get back to why why they love doing what they love and that is is so tragic to me yeah i i i, I love okay i hate that covid happened period point blank i hate that 100 uh, to 800,000 people have passed away from it period point blank the one small thing I loved when COVID first happened was all said, okay, we got to just teach the kids. And so they went online and they threw away all of the standardized tests and they just said, just teach. I don't care how you do it, teach for that small little bit. The teachers love teaching again. They were bringing out their picture books from the elementary level. They were adding all of these different projects and settings and, 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 and kids were happy and the teachers were happy and everything was great because the administrators were like, just social emotional leads. Just if the entire class is just telling me about your day, do it. And for that small little moment, I was like, this is our reset. This is the chance for us to go back to teaching how we know it should be. And then we all went back to the school <laughs> and everything is trying to go back to how it was, the standardized tests, all these new initiatives and so forth. So I, I do understand a lot of the people, a lot of our educators are just saying, I can't teach the way I know how because all these other things. And since they don't want to listen or try to go back to those days, my physical health is more important. Yeah, that's entirely understandable. So, so what are the solutions here? What are some of the really big ways that our community or our state can help teachers feel more supported in their profession and hopefully gain back some of that joy? Mm. 
honestly, my heart is just, I do not feel like the solutions that teachers offer are heard. And if they would just listen, I mean, I know what we're talking about, but the people, the powers that be are just like, no, we know everything. And this is why we are in the situation we're in now. I mean, how many years do we have to talk about we need public schools funded, fully funded? I mean, that would just be a great starting point. Mm -hmm. Just put your money where your mouth is. Invest in our kids and invest. Um, please just do that. Yeah. That'll be a great start. Yeah. I was listening to a podcast. Uh, matter of fact, it was today. You know how you have your ears in while you're uh, on and about your day. And the podcast talked about how today's businesses since COVID, since, you know, a lot of people quit working and they're looking for jobs, all of these companies have raised the rate of the minimum wage to a point that they're way above teacher salaries. Mm. And it, oh, mind blown. We go to school for X amount of years, get however many degrees, and it is still at an entry level of some other occupations that you didn't have to go to school. Um, and like Danielle just said, these are things we've been asking before the COVID, before the teacher walkout in Oklahoma. These are the things that could be fixed if we really wanted to focus on it. Um, and it's sad that it has to take a pandemic or a teacher walkout for seven days with 20,000 people walking around the Capitol just to get noticed. Um, but these things, they're not going anywhere until the powers that be really sit down with educators and say, how can we fix it? And then show the actions with it. And it's only, in my opinion, it's only going to get worse. Mm -hmm. You're, you're going to see a lot of teachers leaving this profession probably during Christmas break. Yeah. It, it's it's going to get bad. Yeah. Uh, and once again, when you can work from home, get whatever systems and computer systems for your home, work from home with this other company, and it's paying more than teachers. And then at the end of that nine to five or 10 to six, however your hours are, all you have to do is turn it off and you don't have to do the post teacher blues, going home, more lesson plans, uh, more gradings of the papers, more data reports, more analyzing said data, all that other stuff. We understand why, why there's so much burnout. Yeah. So what, what about our responsibility as parents here? Um, obviously, we need to call our legislators mm -hmm. and tell them we want teacher salaries increased. And that's the first step that we need education funded, right? right? What what else do we need to do as parents? I I keep saying I feel like it's so important to me to encourage my kids, teachers, as often as I can. I try to send just emails to say, I really see how this concept you taught is coming to life, or thank you for telling my kid in class that they did a great job. This is how that positively impacted the rest of his week. Um, but 
honestly, I feel like that is throwing a cup of water on a blazing inferno right now. Like, does that even a make <laughs> a difference? Yeah. I mean, so what, what do we do as parents, maybe even collectively to make a, a real impact in our kids' schools and on teachers' lives? I think even doing what you mentioned, it is so helpful. It is so needed mm -hmm. because teachers every day are getting inundated with negativity from parents. You're not doing this. You're not doing this. Why is my kid, you know? all the blame is being placed on teachers mm -hmm. from parents and it, it's overwhelming. So just to even hear encouraging um, notes like you're giving, it means a lot. Yeah. Even if you don't think it does, it really does. Mm -hmm. And the two things I, I would suggest, first thing I would love for our legislators, that Okla leg that is the hashtag on Twitter, I would love for them to teach. Ooh, yeah. Please, please, please come to the school. Be the substitute when we need subs. Uh, when we have the COVID outbreaks or we have to do the 10-day uh, the quarantine, 14-day quarantine, come on in. Here's the substitute lesson plans. Mm -hmm. Here's your class for 10 days. And not the, the legislators who are in school because they got this. Those are the, the teachers who have now become, like, I think that they can handle it. But I'm talking about some of the other ones who think that this teaching job is really easy because they saw how easy it was in movies like Kindergarten Cop or Dangerous Minds or The Substitute. Like they see, oh, look how easy it is. Anybody could go in and just teach. I would love for them just to be the teacher just, just one week. We'll record it. I, I would love that to happen. Just, just and don't pick the the perfect schools you know don't don't pick the schools that can run on its own like go to the schools where you know the most need is there i would love for them to do that um just for one week just to see it and do it without do it without the press just just go in and say how can i really be helpful and then be prepared for their answer because their answer is can you teach <laughs> take this class for the next 10 days, 14 days. I would love that. Because uh, right now you have a lot of our administrators um, covering classes. Mm -hmm. You've got teachers not getting a break because the third hour or the second hour, or the sixth hour, they got to go in and then teach that class because this, that, and the other, uh, which also produces more burnout. So I would really love for our parents just to understand that, our legislators just to understand that. Um, the second thing that I would really, really love for people to continue to be reminded of is we are not behind. When you continue to hear, oh, we got to catch up, we got to catch up, we got to catch them up, our students got to get caught up, to what standard? Because it would be different if only Oklahoma was behind. The whole world is going through this COVID breakout. The whole world has gone through a pandem pandemic and it's still going through it. We now have Omicron. So it's not a, our students are behind. Just let your students learn. Let your teachers teach how they're teaching. Don't try to compare them to the standards of 2018 and 19. Just teach them. Those are the two things that I would say. I love those ideas. Um, get our legislators in the classrooms and Parents, if you have time to substitute, 
sign up to be a substitute in a district near you because it would change their lives. <laughs> and our teachers need that. I can't tell you how many times my kids already this semester have said, you know, we had to just split up and some of us go into Mrs. So-and-so's class and some of us go into Mrs. So-and-so's class. And while I know that those teachers are incredibly capable and they can handle that, I wish for them that they didn't have to. I wish that that wasn't another thing on their list that they had to think about. Yeah, one high school that I know uh, had three teachers out and they all taught, let's say like one same subject, like let's say algebra one. And so all three of those classes went to the cafeteria and one teacher taught three different classes in the number one, and it was like 150, 160 kids in that class. High school. That so, just yeah, doesn't we, work. Yeah, we, we, need, we need relief. <laughs> Call in the relief picture. <laughs> Legislators, who are you? Call them in, bring them in, get on the phone, just like a major league baseball pitcher. <laughs> bring in the re relief. Come on and help any of these schools. Yeah, that's a great idea. And that is a way that we could all really make a huge impact immediately. Yes. So what are some of the other biggest issues facing the education industry right now, especially in Oklahoma? Hmm. Burnout is number one. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot that stems from that too. Yeah. The emotional strain that is on both teachers and students how mm -hmm. to deal with that yeah that's big i mean students are having all kinds of outbursts all kinds of issues just and it is a lot for a teacher to handle in a class let we're not down class sizes. Our class sizes are yeah. larger. <laughs> yeah. Even though we're in a pandemic, the class sizes sizes are huge. Yeah. And to navigate 25, 30 different personalities and learning styles and and mental issues, it is a lot. Mm -hmm. And we don't even have, you know, enough counselors to help these babies. And not just the students, the teachers as well. So I think, yeah, mental health is huge. Social, emotional learning, that's very huge yeah. right now. Yeah. And just as far as from like the leadership perspective, um, if you are like at a site administrator, you know that the powers above you still run the show. So what can you do inside of your school to keep the culture still happy, still smiling? Small things like that. Uh, I know a few principals who just say, hey, it's Friday, five o'clock, six o'clock. Let's just go have some drinks. I mean, just keeping the culture alive, keeping the spirits up. Uh, another one, Send, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, but I, I've seen that. I've also seen, you know, administrators just giving them their favorite candy bar, something small just to keep spirits up, um, calling them, emailing them, 
um, letting them know you're doing a great job, small things like that, taking some of the load off their plate, saying, I know we've got these seven and you got to do next week. Only focus on two of them. Don't worry about the other five. We'll get to those later. Um, I've seen that from administrators. Some other administrators have literally taken over classes just to give teachers a break. Like for this next 25 minutes, leave <laughs> and go to Sonic and go to Starbucks, get you a drink. Come on back in 25 minutes. I've got your class. Small little things like that. And don't forget the power of a jeans day. <laughs> oh. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Especially like right now, we're about to finish with break, like the entire week, just everybody, just wear what you want to wear. Yeah. <laughs> that, that would be great. Um, but trying to keep the morale up, mm -hmm. keep it up by emailing some of your meeting notes versus having and calling a meeting just when it could have been an email, small things like that. Uh, finding moments to laugh a little, finding those moments throughout the day and say, hey, I just want to share with you what I saw a kid do today. This kid did such and such and so. I mean, just the small little things that you can do to keep, keep the morale up because people are tired. People are burned out. People need rest. One huge thing I would really consider is once when this winter break hits, don't email your teachers. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> leave them alone <laughs> leave them alone you know they come back uh sometime in january so this entire winter break during the christmas week leave them alone don't even tell them merry christmas I'm yeah <laughs> don't send that group text no <laughs> leave them alone let them be let them rest uh, let them spend time with their family uh when january uh First come, yeah, email them then. No, that's a holiday. That's a holiday. Okay, January 2nd, email them then. But Wait till the third or fourth. Yeah. yeah. Just just give them that space to decompress, to relax. Uh I won't say this, but um on social media, some beautiful person, very intelligent, um, had a great quandary on Facebook. And basically she said, and maybe you can explain it better than me. But basically she I said, I want to be able to rest. I want to be able to stop what I'm doing and just rest. But my anxiety hit because when I rest the entire time, I'm thinking about all these other things I should be doing, but I'm not doing because I'm resting. So when it's time to go back into it, I've got more on my plate. Oh, like okay. I, I did not come up with that. I, I found that. It's something called stress laxing. It's like you're trying to rest, but you keep on thinking about all the things that you have to do so you can't rest. Yeah, that's what that is. It's called? Stress laxing. Stress, stress laxing. Mm -hmm. Okay, stress laxing. So administrators, please help help our, our educators not to stress lax. <laughs> <laughs> I just took the suffix off. Uh, yeah. yeah, okay. I love it. So let's talk some more about social emotional learning. Um, that was such a focus for a lot of our schools in 2020, mm -hmm. um, especially as kids were kind of at the height of the pandemic, really processing hard things and hard situations. Um, and you both talked about it already today. I've heard you both say before that social emotional learning remains 
vitally important for years to come because kids are going to be feeling the consequences of this pandemic mm -hmm. for a long time, even when the pandemic itself is passed. So this year, I'm seeing some schools really move away from social emotional learning and focus hard and heavy back on academics. But there are others that are really leaning in and making it more of a district or school-wide mainstay. So what districts or teachers are you seeing that are doing an exceptional job of continuing to focus on social emotional learning and kids' mental health? And for parents who would like for their kids' schools to follow suit, what should they do to encourage prioritizing SEL at their kids' schools? Um, well, both districts that I've worked with, um, Edmond Public Schools and Millwood Public Schools, they are doing a phenomenal job um, with extending that SEL piece inside of the classroom. Um, I mean, it's so needed and, you know, not to bash other schools who have done away with it, but they are doing, I, I believe that they are doing their um, students a tremendous disservice um, by not continuing SEL programs at their school because these kids need it. Mm -hmm. These teachers need it. So if they don't have that in their school, um, I would say when you're going to those board meetings, go to the board meetings to raise ruckus about SEL programs and not other things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, That's a valid thing to bring up at the board meetings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The schools whose uh, culture is still rich when you walk inside of the classroom or you walk in the halls and you still feel the happiness, the joy, the love, the support, it's the schools that are still focusing on SEL. Mm -hmm. Those are the ones where the teachers are smiling, even though they know they have a heavy workload, they're still hanging out with the students, they're still air high-fiving or social distance high-fiving, dapping. Like you, you can feel it walking inside of these schools because they put the students first and they put the needs of the students first. And the needs may not be academic, it may be just making sure that the kid is eating again. It may be just checking on the kid because the kid's parents or guardians uh, have been working multiple jobs and they're tired. Mm -hmm. It may be that those kids are just a little stress-laxing themselves, <laughs> uh, but they are, they are really giving their all for these kids, for these students. And we always say that first, you know, it's, it's whatever the needs of the students are. Um, you can tell which schools and which districts are doing well because they're focusing on the students' social and emotional needs. Uh, the other ones who have gone back to business like it was, they're the ones that, that are having high attrition. They're the ones that you can't find subs for at times because they are taking those personal days. The ones being, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Not chided. They are the ones that are being fussed at, maybe. Chastised. Chastised, thank uh -huh. you. They are the ones being chastised for taking personal days. You should be here at the school with these kids. Well, I need a personal day. Um, compared to the other schools where the administrators are encouraging them to take a personal day. Where the other parents are saying, 
Uh, students, if you're stressed, it, take a personal day. Take a sick day. That's that's a part of it. Uh, that's one thing that we did with our two kids, uh, and we encourage other parents to do it. You can tell when your students are stressed. You can tell when your students feel overwhelmed. And our daughter has said a few times that she has some anxiety because of this, that, and the other, all of the work, the load that trying to put, you know, two years worth of, of learning in one semester. And so we told her, if you ever feel that stress, it's okay to take a personal day. We will call in sick and call it a sick day. You'll still do the work. But the last thing we want you to do right here is to be stressed as a kid. Stress should be adult issues. It shouldn't be a kid thing. If you are stressed and you are in high school, we need to do some strategies to fix that. Um, she hasn't taken us on up on that offer just yet, but we've we've put that out to both of our students. Like on those days that you are really anxious and you are stressed out, don't go to school stressed. Take some time, breathe. We'll be right here to help you through it. Let's de-stress some of this versus you stress laxing. I'm going to continue to use that. Yeah. <laughs> he loves it. I love it. Yeah, I got a new vocabulary working. Yeah, I would encourage other parents to do the same thing. You can tell when your students are stressed out. You can tell when they have that anxiety to the point that they're shaking. Like, you, you'll, you'll know. And when it happens, it's, it's okay to say. And same with administrators. You know when those teachers are overwhelmed. And they're still trying to come to school sick and hurt and broken. Mm. Mm -mm. Send them home, please. Let them have a day off to, to um, ground themselves. And then let them come back refreshed. Because you don't want them to come back. Well, not even come back. You don't want them to stay there and something happens. Yeah. Because you, yes. know, you didn't want to find a sub or... Like, oh, we need a warm body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like yeah, a professional sports player. You, you want the sports player to be 100% to give their all. You don't want them out there on 10% because they're just going to injure themselves or injure others. And it's the same way with teaching. When we are not at our best, we as administrators should see that, inquire about it, and suggest, like, you got all the sick leave. Like, I remember being in the district i had almost a year and a half worth of sick leave i never took it just kept just each month it just kept going rolling forward and and that's i when it, that's when it used to do that because you know now it's like stuck it like 10 days yeah use it or lose it use it or lose it and so our suggestion is to use it you know those days, use it. Please use it. We want you healthy. We want your social and emotional learning to, to be 100% so when you teach the students, you can give them your all. Mm -hmm. You're not able to do that if you're only at 5% coming in. Yeah, that's so, so important. So important for our kids. So important for teachers and administrators too. And I, um, I, have talked to you guys about that before. And I have used that practice with my kids who two of my three deal with some anxiety that's been exacerbated by the pandemic. So one of mine has taken a day when mm. she had excruciating anxiety and we stayed home, we could do all the work together 
and she was able to go back the next day refreshed and feeling better. So it works. It does. I think <laughs> one of the coolest things was the day that both of the kids stayed home. We went to CeCe's Pizza and we didn't talk anything about school. We just talked silly YouTube videos and TikTok videos at the time, Snapchat videos. And we just laughed and giggled. And you could see the stress just go away. And then the drive home was like, all right, we got school tomorrow. How you feeling? Are we a little better? They were much better. And then we moved forward. And so, yeah, I really, really do encourage that for other parents. It's a great tool for sure. So one of your many other areas of expertise is education equity. What are some key things that our local districts, administrators, classroom teachers should really be looking at implementing or improving in 2022 to move closer toward equity in their classrooms? And how can parents help encourage and facilitate those initiatives? Mm -hmm. I'll let you take this one. Okay. Uh, first thing, always do a, a, a walk around when you're inside of the schools. One of the things I do when I walk inside of a school, I just do a quick check. I look in the hall, look on the walls, I look in the classrooms, and I see if there are pictures and posters and books of people that look like them inside of their classroom. Mm -hmm. Is your wall diverse? Are your authors diverse? Your special guests, community members who come inside of the school and come inside of the classrooms, do they look like all shapes and colors? Or is it just one? If it's just one, what can we do to fix it? If your staff all looks one color, what can we do to fix it? If your staff all thinks one way, what can we do to fix it? If the only minorities that you may or may have are your support staff, what can we do to address that? Because there's teachers everywhere. And I, one thing I just love seeing is walking inside of a school and seeing diversity all over the building from the staff to the books that are on the display in the libraries to the books that are used in curriculum to the posters that you see when they, you know they've gone to Mardell's or Lakeshore or Hobby Lobby and you see the vast colors and cultures represented. Those are just, that's just small, easy things that you can do to ensure equity inside of a school or a classroom. And parents, if you happen to not see it, that's a great conversation starter. Hey, I see that you all are reading Hatchet by Gary Palsy. That's great. Have you read Night John by Gary Palsy? <laughs> it's about a black slave that learned how to read. Just small little things. Hey, I see that all of your books are protagonists of animals. That's great. But what about some of our Latinx authors who have done picture books? Small things like that, that's a way to ensure equity. And parents definitely have a big, a big role and responsibility in, mm -hmm. in those kinds of initiatives to ask those questions, um, whether you have kids that are well represented or not. Yeah. Um, 
I know we've talked about this before that um, my sweet little daughter was very, um, I'm not going to use the word bossy or pushy. I'm trying to think of a nicer word. She um, advocated very well to include more native history in her mm -hmm. Oklahoma history curriculum. And she did a great job with that. And she was able to share some um, history lessons and current day information about her tribe that otherwise her class wouldn't have focused on. And her teacher was so excited about it and so willing for her to do that. Um, and it just, it just took her noticing and then figuring out what can I do to make a little change and yeah. to infuse some of my culture into my classroom? Yeah, just a gentle nudge. Here's another one that's about to happen. As soon as we come back from the break, book fair is going to happen. And they're going to bring in those carts. And those carts are going to be set up in somebody's library, classroom, resource room. And this is what you'll see, because I see it all the time. You're going to see the most popular books at eye level of the student. And then you're gonna see the diverse books at the very bottom. So as parent, you're saying to yourself, oh, why are they at the bottom? Can't we rearrange those? Put those to the top at eye level so we can see. And they do the exact same thing at your Crest or your Walmart, your Costco, your Sam's. The most popular items are always at the eye level. And then those off brands or those ones that aren't as popular are always at the bottom. <laughs> And so we're talking equity. Hey, this is something real simple. Parents, you're going to send your, your students money and they're going to go to these book fairs. So ask these book fairs like Scholastic. Ask those librarians, those media specialists. Hey, at your book fair this year, are you going to have, and then have a list of some, some, some authors of color. Small little things just like that to ensure equity in your school. Yeah, and don't be afraid to ask the questions because mm -hmm. that's what gets change started. Exactly. You guys have definitely inspired me to ask a lot of questions in my ask kids. Ask in a kind way. That's I know, right. I know you do. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and that's good. That's a good lesson for our kids too. And our kids can ask the questions yeah. as well. I love, I love that my child felt confident. It took, you know, it took some pep talk of herself and took some courage, but um, she was able to do that totally on her own and then felt really great about the change that she was able to make. So don't underestimate our kids' abilities either to, to make those kinds of changes. Yeah, and I think this is a, a really good way to partner with like your local libraries as well because they get a surplus of books all the time. And so going to them, asking them, hey, do you have any picture books of our Latinx authors? Hey, do you, can you share some from our indigenous people? And having that conversation, then you can go to your school librarian, media specialist, ask those same questions. Uh, one thing I realized is that those questions weren't being asked. So on Twitter, anytime I see a picture book of color, I'm always shouting it out now, just because there are some who just don't know. And it's okay if you don't know, but at the same time, we're going to learn today. <laughs> Everybody's <laughs> going to get those opportunities to learn now. Asking those questions really brings forth that change. Absolutely. And your daughter is not bossy. That's right. 
We'll call her a change agent. She's a change. Ooh, I like I'm going to tell her that and she's going to love it, Danielle. <laughs> she has leadership skills. Yes, she yes. does. <laughs> All right, let's talk about testing. So Andre, you've already talked about this, about how kids are not quote unquote behind that we've got to let go of that expectation. And I remember on the first podcast we recorded together, Danielle talked about that and I have kept it in my brain and in my heart ever since it really has, that message has helped to get me through this pandemic with my kids. Um, those expectations are not helpful. Those are expectations that society, that parents are putting on our kids and on our teachers and, um, I have to repeat Danielle's voice in my head a lot to remind me to let go of it. But as we have come back to this more normal school year, I've noticed a lot more testing and assessments of my kids in the classroom. And so I'm having to repeat Danielle's words to myself a lot more. And I find myself and my kids getting caught back up in that mindset that they feel like they're behind. So what's, what's the middle ground here? Did we learn any lessons during the pandemic that will help us find this middle ground between, obviously we need to assess our students some of the time. We have to know where they are, what they're retaining, but then there's also this undue pressure put on students and on teachers and this methodology of teaching to the test and learning for these tests. So how do we meet in the middle? I am going to say that, and, and I've told uh, teachers this just this week, that when you use the word test, it just automatically breeds anxiety. Mm -hmm. But what we want to do, we want to use the term assess, because when you assess, that means you're going along the way and tell kids, you know what? I just want to see what you know right now. Mm -hmm. So I know how to teach you better. Yeah. But that pressure of you better know all this. And I mean, it's, it's, it's undue. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we have, we have to assist, like you said, we have to know where, you know, the students are, um, but don't put that pressure on them. Like, like their failures. If, they don't get a certain percentage. We like to see, we say this this year at Millwood, we just like to see growth. And, you know, seeds sprout and then they grow. Mm. That's all we want to see. Mm. And for whatever reason, <laughs> when people think assessments, they think that's the end all be all. Mm -hmm. And it's not. When you're truly assessing, it's just to do a checkpoint and see what are the next steps. Mm -hmm. That's it. Whether it be a formative assessment or a summative assessment, you are assessing just to see if they have mastered. If they haven't, then you provide the next steps, period. And just like my beautiful wife right here said, it's all about planting of those seeds where you plant the seed, they germinate, they're gonna grow at their own time. So we could assess all we want. If that student hasn't mastered it at that time, the conditions may not be right at that moment. That return of investment may not happen until the following year. Mm -hmm. Prime example, 
we know a student. She lives in this house. <laughs> she did algebra. She did not get it. This year, she's in geometry. And she came up to us and she was like, I finally get it. And we were like, what do you get? She's like, that algebra stuff. <laughs> I see why it makes sense now. It took you two whole years. Now, the assessments from the two years prior show that she wasn't there yet. But now she gets it. So now we can see the return of investment. And I think it's the same way with our students in our classroom. If we are just focusing on, oh, they didn't do it. We got to do more test prep because they need to pass it that year. That's not how learning goes. It's not how learning works. And so being mindful of that from a teacher's perspective, from an administrator's perspective, from a super admin perspective, then we got to ask ourselves, are you just telling us to do these test best books and this test prep because we want to keep whatever our school status is? These are tough conversations we need to have moving forward. If not, we'll fall back into that same trap of 2016, 17, and 18. I'm going to have my daughter watch this so she can hear all these things that you guys are saying. Um, because... Danielle, like you said, that level of anxiety um, from a student is hard. It's hard to watch. And so you guys have given me some really great words to say to her to help kind of reframe the way that she thinks about assessments. I love that. You guys know how I like to end on a positive note and you two are so good at helping us find the silver linings even in really challenging situations. So what is giving you hope for the education industry as we move into 2022? Hmm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what is giving me hope? It's giving me hope seeing students motivated to learn mm. it's like they want this mm -hmm. they enjoy being back at school mm -hmm. being around their peers taking things in uh -huh. so if they're showing that they want this we as educators have to bring it and make it epic and mm -hmm. the best learning that they have ever had so foster that want or desire mm -hmm. for learning. And a lot of them have not really been in the classroom consistently. Mm -hmm. So they want to be at school. Yes. Like, when did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> they want. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That was a great answer. Uh, I was going to kind of go that way. Okay. But I thought today's students, they're in good hands. They are so creative in their thinking now. Um, they don't mind getting into good trouble. Like they don't mind speaking up and sharing their truth where before they kind of kept it hidden or before they kept it quiet or before they didn't even really, really bother or think about bothering. But now they're like, oh, I've done my research. Here's the citations to the research. I believe this way because these are the evidence and the facts. I'm going to speak up. And I'm going to use whatever platform I use to speak up. Oh, we're in good hands. They're speaking up for students who are being bullied. They're speaking up for
for students uh, who may be LGBTQ plus and they don't have a voice. They're speaking up for uh, social issues outside of the classroom. They're speaking up for the teachers who are burning out. We had one student was like, Y'all are treating Ms. Johnson wrong. I'm making up a name. Ms. Johnson wrong. She's here every day helping us. And then this is what y'all gonna do. Like they are using their voices more in creative ways. I love that they also have like all of these Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, um, TikTok pages to show great teachers doing great things to help. Oh, we're in good hands. We. We got some really cool kids here. These kids are dope. We're in, we're in good hands. So that's the hope that I see for them being that excited to be in school and using their voice that only allows us as teachers to raise our game because we see how much the students want to be here. As always, you guys take a really challenging subject and time and, and give me hope. So. Thank you guys so much for that. Thank you for the hope that you have brought to so many parents across the Metro and for all of your wisdom shared. I know I, I'll be watching this back. My daughter will be watching it with me. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for being here. Absolutely. Thank you. For our listeners, you can learn more about the Dowdy family and get more of their advice for parents at MetroFamilyMagazine.com. And you can find their podcast, See What Had Happened at AndreDowdy.org and through all the typical podcast channels. Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.